Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good, Bruce. I got my second dose of vaccine plotted well, out for tomorrow. Looks like tomorrow. Yeah, I got to go to Ottawa to get. I got the AstraZeneca. I'm going to stick with that. I need to get it. I need to go to Ottawa. So anyway, um, okay. I don't know what that's all about, but I'm willing to go there. Alrighty. So that's. I'm looking forward to being fully vaccinated as you are. And say, hopefully, you're on the way to full immunity. Here. <laughs> Thank you, Gene. I reached my two weeks. <laughs> uh, two weeks after my second dose here, uh-huh. uh, over the weekend. So. I, yeah, great. It's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a milestone to finally get to that point. So, but uh, AstraZeneca will be different. But uh, the mRNA ones are notorious for having a bit of a kick on the second dose because your body is now trained to fight. So my second dose the day after was uh, rough. Yeah, well, I had, I had a real tough day on the Saturday after my shot. But you're good now. No, I was, good was the a next while day. Ago. I was good on the Sunday. No, it was just a one day sort of real, real, real rough go of it. And now you got a chance to win a million bucks, Bruce. <laughs> At least they opened it up to everyone. So yeah. the compliant should have a shot at that uh, at that uh, lottery just uh, just as much as anybody else. Yes. Oh, definitely. All right. Let's not get into vaccine politics. <laughs> All right, we are going to get into something which is not quite so controversial, but um, Ken Holland, Bruce, he's been the GM two years now. We're going to look at his full body of work, and the question we're going to try to answer today is, has he moved the needle? Has he moved the needle forward or back? Forward or back? And I I think it's fair to say, like, Peter Shirelli, in our view at least, in his first year as GM, had moved the needle forward. Um, after the 2016-17 playoffs, we were definitely, and he had moved the needle forward camp, I think both of us, it's fair to say. You can object to that if, if you want, but that's that's definitely where I was. And then he proceeded to move the needle back, back, back until he got fired. Ken Holland, where is he at? So we're going we're gonna to dig into this. I don't know if either of us has a final co- conclusion, even in our heads right now, whether he's moved it back or forward. Bruce, let's start with, um, let's start with... What do you, where do you think he's moved the needle? Just just we'll both give we'll trade examples. Give an example where you think he moved the needle forward, and then we'll move on to where you think him, he moved it back. What would you what would be your suggestion for moving a needle forward? Where did he succeed? Uh, well, number one on my personal list of uh, of Ken Holland's achievements was the um, way he handled the Yasapul Yarvi situation. I was about uh, to say the same thing. How yeah. he. Um, uh, didn't panic, didn't, did, you know, I mean, there was every opportunity to trade the guy, try and recoup a draft pick or somebody else's failing prospect. Um, and this, I mean, Pugliarvi's stock was so low, I think you'd find it on the penny stocks page. And uh, he just let him do what he needed to do, which is spend a year back home in Finland getting his... Uh, his stuff together, his confidence back, his you know his love of the game back, which is I think fundamental to this particular player and person. And uh, uh, 
getting a deal done and not just a deal done, but a two year deal done. Like I was thinking at best, it's going to be one year. If he plays well, they're going to have to pay him right away. Well, we got one more year. Yes. Yarvi at the very reasonable price of $1.15 million. That's a big time value contract for one more year. So between just salvaging the player at all, and also getting him signed to his second year at such a at such a decent price, uh, that's a big win for Ken Holland in in, uh, in my estimation. Yeah, I think it's a it's it's a home run. It might even be close to the Grand Slam home run, um, but it's definitely a home run. If Pulleyarvi keep progressing, could be a Grand Slam, it, and that second year is a real big part of it, isn't it? I think Pulleyarvi oh. might have had the value of a second pick second round pick if they had traded him they couldn't have got a first i don't believe another unlikely to get a first pick when they if they had traded him probably a second maybe even a third like there was just such a small market out there for the player and someone else would have feasted on that it's interesting he wasn't holland's pick he wasn't wedded to this player Mm -hmm. but this is this is one where his vast experience i think you know sometimes it's People denigrate him for being uh, long in the tooth, maybe not uh, up on uh, the modern GMing salary cap machinations and analytics. This is one where his ex- vast experience, I think, really did pay off. So when we when we attack him, when, when he's criticized for those other things, it's it's balanced off in some ways now and then. This is one such occasion where it was balanced off. And um, again, two years like what would they be if they had to sign him now they'd be looking at um paying him a bit more i think than what does he get in that second year let me just have a look oh uh, well his, his aav is 1.15 i think i think it is probably um uh, asymmetric uh so his platform um season will be closer to 1.5 but i believe so that's what? correct that's still uh that's still very reasonable Really good deal for the Oilers on a second contract. Of course, the player had a lot to prove, but uh, again, the, uh, two years, thats a, that that gets into Grand Slammy territory. But until he really pans out as a player, it's hard to to uh, to, to, to bump it up there. I'll go with um, my... I would have picked Pugliarvi as the best move he's made. My, I'm going to go with the second best move uh, is... Mike Smith. I think that um, the year that Mike Smith had was mm-hmm. uh, put that contract into him and the Pugliarvi deal, but even more so with Smith, is probably the, one of the top bargain contracts in the NHL this past season. Uh, what was it, a million five? And uh, he just had a he just had a year that, you know, if you had paid your goalie $6 million to have a season like that, you wouldn't be complaining. And they paid him a million five. So, um, no one would have, very few people would have stuck with Mike Smith that after that season. And even bringing him in the first year, like the first year I, I think was kind of a wash. Like it was okay. It kind of worked out. He, he got them into the playoffs. Uh, I mean, he got them into second place in the division. If the season had ended, they would have been in the playoffs. Uh, Mike Smith was a big part of that. He played very well, uh, for a lar- large, stretches of the year. He had one bad patch, sure. but but a very bad patch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, even then, it was kind of a, it was okay-ish the first year, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Second year, I'm going to say the second year is a Grand Slam home run. 
in terms of the contract with Mike Smith. That was that's that's just a great move. So, um, yeah, sticking with him and bringing him back was you know sort of going against the current to say the least. Uh, a lot of people here in Edmonton were hoping they'd seen the last of Smith uh, after uh, uh, 2019-20 when. Honestly, he was key to the Oilers having a hot start out of the gate, and he was key to their recovery in the new year after he had been key to their terrible slump in December. But uh, Costner got hurt on New Year's Eve, and Smith sort of took the net for a while, and he took over the net. He went a long while without losing a game, and the Oilers uh, surged into playoff position. And then, of course, all that came undone with a single half game, not even, 26 minutes and 32 seconds, if I recall, against uh, Chicago in game one, where he allowed five goals and got pulled from the net never to return. And uh, you and I and many others thought that that was the end of his time here. But uh, Holland, I mean, certainly he deserves credit. Uh, One wonders, uh, you know, was Smith plan B, plan C, plan D? And it certainly all fell together and it happened to work out. But... uh, there was talk he was after Matt Murray. There was very loud talk that he was after uh, Jacob Markstrom uh, and offering big term dollars for Markstrom. And when all those dominoes fell, and there was a few other goalies that all signed on uh, what amounted to July 1st, uh, October 9th it was, but you know the first day of free agency, uh, to circle back and get Mike Smith at a discount, which he chopped 500 grand off of his... Um, off of his uh, base salary, and he really chopped down his bonuses so that even with bonuses paid this year, Smith only made $1.7 million, and the Oilers saved about $1 million on their goaltending budget compared to the year before. Um, so it, uh, you know, uh, I think there was some some luck involved. I mean, nobody foresaw, obviously, Mike Smith having that sort of year, but... Uh, it's funny, David. I looked at the uh, in the post I wrote about him a little while back. I looked at the at the goalies in the Canadian division, and I, I think there's 11 that played 20 or more games. And the three cheapest ones by far were uh, 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 Mike Smith, Jack Campbell, and Thatcher Demko. And you could almost make a case they were the three best goalies in the regular season in, in Canada. Certainly, Campbell and Smith ranked way up there for in terms of performance and the fact that every other goalie on the list eight other goalies all made north of 4.3 million dollars you know that's the cost of doing business for a good goalie so Oilers got a good goalie for a for a very reasonable price let's uh rotate let's go to one of the uh moving the needle back bruce what would be top of your list for moving the needle back boy top of the list uh, I got a few items on the list, but uh, uh, I think the mistake on Kyle Turris has to rank pretty high on that list. And Turris was, um, uh, he was bought out by Nashville on October the 7th, very late in the game. They must have had a second free agent window open because of somebody went to arbitration or something. I'm not familiar with the with the guts of the of the deal. All I know is it wasn't until October 7th that he was bought out. And on the morning of October 9th, the Oilers signed the guy to a two-year 
deal. In this case, his second year is not a good thing because he's he's still around after a total failure of a first season. And this after a total failure in Nashville where two years into a six-time $6 million contract, they seen enough and they said we got to get this guy out of here we're gonna we're gonna pay him two million dollars a year for the next eight years not to play for us and i'm just not sure that there was enough time in between there that for the oilers to say oh he's on the market now or maybe they had some advance warning or whatever but uh whatever their uh whatever their scouting department was uh was looking at in their video department I'm just not sure what they saw because they had him slotted in to be the 3C. And the only way that might possibly have worked is if he still had so much offense in his game that aligned with him and Tyler Ennis and Yasipoli could maybe not outscore, but at least sort of keep up with their defensive mistakes. But no, he he couldn't score, nor could he defend. He, he really brought very little to the table. And they, it's not just... Uh, the cost of the contract, but it's the opportunity cost. Like they did not, they figured they were solved at 3C and that wound up being an issue for the team fairly deep into the season before they worked that one out. And it was exacerbated when Gaetan Haas came down with COVID and was mm-hmm. set back maybe for the whole season. Like he, you know, he might've had, like he started out strong when he came back in his first, and then he kind of like had a really bad month they kind of doomed him with the Oilers gate hand Haas. And I wonder if that was like lingering, not feeling well. We don't know that for sure. I'm just speculating. But um, the tourist thing is, it wasn't just, I don't mind when the Oilers make a bet, $700,000, $900,000 on a player. The more of those bets you, you're willing to make in some ways, it's great. Because you're just putting more bullets to shoot. And if they miss fire, it doesn't hurt you. Because uh, you can right. send those players to the minors. So, you know, spending like... Let's just, you know, Patrick Russell obviously didn't work out, and Granlin and Thomas Yurcho, and but it doesn't really hurt your team necessarily. There right. is an opportunity cost of that roster spot, but you know it's made up. You you, you bring in Gaetan Haas or Tyler Ennis or Cahoon or you know so, some of the players. Negard have have been a little bit more promising. Riley Shea and you know, um, they signed Logason and Jones for cheap deals like that. So these cheap deals don't bother me. Tourist was a was a cut above that though. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's 1.65 million per year, yep. and uh, what, anytime you're spending more than than that minimum amount, you need to be sure because the, it becomes significant opportunity cost when dollars are scarce, cap dollars are scarce. He, he was just he was he was the worst player on the Oilers this year. Um, I, I don't argue, and 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 it was heartbreaking because this is mm-hmm. a team to me. You have a chance with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Mike Smith playing well and Darnell Nurse stepping up. You had a chance to do something in the playoffs. And blowing that move, blowing it, um, based on terrible pro scouting advice, I think. Um, I think they should get rid of the person who recommended tourists to them. They should fire that person. Cost It was a major, major uh, mistake Third line center is a major position on a team. Sure is. It's not, it's like a, it's like a top line. It's, you know, Rich Winters there is, it's 11, I think it's 11 players. Uh, seven, four, one. Seven, four, one. Whatever that, yeah, that's 12, 12 I guess. Seven, 11 position players. And right. third line center is one of them. And they yep, just, 100%. they just absolutely got, blew it. They, they got it wrong. And um, 
I think it was foreseeable. I wasn't scouting Taurus. I wasn't looking, mm-hmm. so I couldn't foresee it necessarily. I didn't know what we're getting in Taurus. I, I watched the orders. I don't have time to do that kind of analysis on every other team. They have people. That is their job to get that right. That's the only job they have, and they blew mm-hmm. it. And if so, if it was the if it was the only mistake that they ever made, just Kyle Turris, I wouldn't say right. this. But because we're going to go through a list of other mistakes right. of pro scouting, I think that are that are equally bad. Someone's someone's screwing up in pro scouting again and again and again under Ken Holland, and it's not looking good on Ken Holland at this point. And 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 so if it's the same person each time, they've got to solve this issue, Bruce. Or I have no, I don't have confidence in this management team going forward. It's been too long. It's it's way more than the Ken Holland era that we've we've been griping about pro scouting. I mean, it's been all the time that that uh, I've been with the cult of hockey. And back before that, let's bring back the guy who identified Steve Steos for a three-year contract in uh, 2001 or whenever the heck that was. Uh, that, that's the kind of signing that uh, that, uh, that the Oilers need to be making. And, and they seem to just get recommendations of guys and they come in and they're underwhelming or less. Oh, God. Just and, think, I mean, just, Kyle, Kyle Turris. I mean. He was the new Eric Belanger. Like It's like Mark Fain, Benoit Pouliot, Jared Smithson. It's just Curtis Foster. It's just endless. Ben Eager. Players who come in here who can't perform, who don't play well. And there's been a few exceptions to that rule. Devin, David Perron was was a, a good pickup. But yeah, he was actually a, a target in a trade, and that was an actual trade that uh, that um, that worked out, at least in the short term, until they traded him for another draft pick, and then they traded that pick and got wound up with nothing. But So maybe... <laughs> Maybe we're a little, maybe I'm a little bit harsh here because I have this, you know, subconsciously I'm blaming the new pro scouts for all the mistakes of all the previous pro scouts that we've seen yeah. in the last t- decade. That's probably part mm-hmm. of what's going on here. Nonetheless, the trend, the trend is continuing to some extent, and it's a little bit alarming because uh, good teams, teams that win the Stanley Cup, they mm-hmm. don't tend to make these kind of mistakes with their third line center position, they get the right guy or they develop the right guy. And you could say, well, Ken Holland hasn't had time to develop the right guy. That's that might be a, a, a fair comment, but um, the tourist thing. All right. My bad thing will be, I'm going to just group two moves, Bruce in together, Markstrom and OEL, all of um, Oliver Ekman Larson, the pursuit of both these players. And it's, and it's, we, I think we can say with certainty, based on the amount of reporting that, that's gone on, that Markstrom was offered a seven-year yes. deal for five, at least five million, probably plus, from the Oilers, maybe plus from the Oilers, and he turned it down for the Calgary deal. Ekman Larson's a little harder to comment on because um, we don't know. It was it was heavily reported that the Oilers were interested and were making inquiries, right. but. Ken Holland isn't doing his job if he's not inquiring about right. every player and seeing what the price is. Because for all we know, that okay, we take Ekman Larson and they take James Neal. For all we know, that was the deal. We don't know what the deal was, right? Yeah. It could have been two teams with contracts that they thought had negative value going forward. The OEL thing's a little dicier because of that. We don't right. know exactly the level of Holland's interest and we don't know exactly what was going to give given back the rumor at the time bruce was it was going to be evan bouchard in a first pick right which i thought was the most preposterous thing i'd ever heard be, well one of them because mm-hmm. 
OEL at that point, there was a lot of people excited about bringing him in for a first pick when that was first talked about. There was many, many people who who tweet and blog regularly about the Edmonton Oilers who were who were okay with that idea. I was I was always iffy about it because when I looked at OEL's long term contract, I saw a real possibility yeah. to have negative value for years to come. And um, but then when I heard the Bouchard and and a first for OEL, I just thought this is madness. I mean. Right. But we don't yeah. know if we don't know if Ken Holland was going to go there. But I'm going to say it seemed like there was a lot of smoke. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there was a ton of smoke with Markstrom, and I didn't like that. Like I didn't like it at the time, and I don't like it. Like it's it's easier to say that now because Markstrom had a had a <sighs> bad season. These long term contracts with players into their 30s, I, I I'm not a fan of them generally. I, there's exceptions to that rule. And I just think the the fact that he was entertaining these two two things is another kind of worrisome aspect of Ken Holland's time. It's, it, it's worrisome. I'm not going to give him a black mark because in the end, neither one of those deals happened. Uh, in the uh, in the case of um, uh, OEL, the the talk was that Holland drew the line when they wanted both Bouchard and the first, that that was too high a price to pay, that there was some disagreement about whether Phoenix or Arizona, I should say, uh, would retain some of his monstrous contract, which apparently they wanted to shed the whole thing. And for whatever reason, the deal fell apart. Well, to Holland's credit, in one angle, that he did not pursue either player. It wasn't like he he was so so zoned in on Jacob Markson that it's that, that, well, whatever Calgary is going to pay you, we're going to give you one more year and one more million, no matter what. You know, I mean, he didn't go there. And he finally said that the bar is too high, let him go. Which that at least final aspect of the decision, if it, you know, if it came to a decision from, from Holland, you know, he, he didn't, he, he didn't go over the top in either case. So, uh, I'll give him a little credit for that, and there's no reason not to not to inquire. But I mean, I I, I wasn't. Uh, I'm a fan of OEL, but I think his best eight years are behind him. Yeah, and, and yeah, his most expensive eight are ahead of him. You know, so that was that was a deal that kind of left me cold, no matter what the price was. Just just having the idea of having that contract on the books for a large number of years was pretty scary. I can't remember if I said this at the time, but my memory of what I was thinking is that even if they could get him for free on that mm-hmm. deal, like just we'll take over the contract. I was against it. I didn't want that to happen mm. because I thought it, it's too much money over too long a term for a defenseman who's already clearly taken a step back in a season. That was evident from his numbers. He had already taken a step back and he's heading into this new. I just thought, no, that's not a bet that that the order should make, even if they gave up nothing to get him. Would, would so. you sign him on the, as a free agent for the remaining of remainder of that contract? And my I answer, would not. Have. My answer would have been no. Yeah. At that I, price. Yeah. So, and I think the Markstrom thing I, is similar. So that's why I think the OEL, OEL thing, you can, we don't really know what happened, so it's hard to say, but Markstrom thing, I'm going to give him a definite black mark for being that, that long on a, on a goalie um, at that age. All right, Bruce, my, my second good thing um, is Tyson Berry. I'm going to say he hit a home run with Tyson Berry. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the top-scoring defenseman in the NHL, even though some of his points were second assists. Top-scoring defenseman in the NHL on a one-year deal at $3.75 million, I believe it was. That's a, that's a home run. That's a grand slam home run, actually. 
because um, the price was so cheap and the, the term was so short. Uh, well, you could maybe you could argue maybe give him two years that would have been better. But I, you know, Tyson Berry has enough deficiencies in his game that um, I'm glad that he he doesn't have an extra year on that deal because it's time for Evan Bouchard to get his time here. Yeah. That was a great one-year signing, though. He Tyson Berry was, was a very strong attacker on the Oilers this year. Um, his defense was suspect, especially when he was put in a top pairing role. If they had used him in a third pairing role, uh, this would have even been more of a home run. But they didn't have that luxury because they didn't feel they could trust other players in the top pairing with Darnell Nurse. But for who Tyson Berry is, he had one of his best seasons in the NHL at a bargain price. He chose to come here. Uh, Holland was part of that persuasion. So, home run. Yeah, I like that it was a one-year deal, and I still like it's a one-year deal. And I'm, I'll give him the home run at such point as he doesn't turn around and sign a massive long-term extension. They always have a history of bringing in guys on one-year deals, like uh, Chris Russell, Alex Chason, dare I say, Devin Shore. Look at him for a year and like him and then give him give him a raise i mean sure didn't get much of a raise but but the other guys did and they were locked up for a period of time and so and in each case the extension uh arguably was you know uh the original deal that they brought the guy in on was good and then they then uh, the, the subsequent deal was not so good so we'll see what happens uh, with barry but on a one-year basis when they knew oscar clefbaum was out for the year that they they didn't have uh, necessarily a power play quarterback, that they weren't yet in position to say, okay, Evan Bouchard, number one, right D, that job is yours, come in and, and hit it out of the park. Because I don't think he was there yet. I'm not sure he's there now, but he's a lot closer to being there now than he was a year ago. And it's uh, if, if it's one and done for Barry, it was a win. And I mean, you could argue maybe they could have spent the money better somewhere else, but I'm not sure where under the circumstances, yeah, and, uh, well. especially filling in for, for Clefbaum. You know, they did try him on three right defense. That's where he played for the first uh, three weeks of the season. You remember the Oilers were three and six and Barry was like minus six. He was playing with, he played some with Russell. He played some with uh, Cuckoo. Uh, and the power play took a while to get going. He had like two assists or something. And uh, and then in game 10, uh, Ethan Bear, who had been playing with Darnell Nurse, got beamed by a puck while sitting on the bench and put him out for a month and it set him back for longer than that. And Barry got promoted and they just took off. Uh, Bear, Barry and, and Nurse were fire for like two months after that. Piling yeah. up the points, outscoring big time on the other team at even strength, and Barry was doing the job on the power play. And the Tyson Barry that played between games 10 and 35 um, was, you know, that was a real eye opener. But then I thought he slid significantly in the in the closing stages of the season, and and so he's, uh, I mean, he is what he is. He's been that player the whole time. That's. Uh, you know, he's he's Justin Falk or Justin Schultz. He's a player that'll get, you know get you things in the offensive zone and give you things away in the in the defensive zone and and you pay for the points, but you pay in other ways for the defensive uh, issues. So 
overall, though, definitely a plus for Holland to sign that player at that price for that term. One one year was was ideal. That was a it was a speed bump for Evan Bouchard as opposed to a brick wall, as if he'd signed him for several years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked with Barry in the top pairing until it didn't. Right, and, and then it really stopped working to the point where in the playoffs it was one of the factors of why they lost the series was they didn't have, they hadn't figured out who can succeed with Darnell Nurse. Maybe there was no answer this year. Could mm-hmm. well have been the case, right? You know, and when they signed Barry, um, Evan Bouchard was still iffy. By the time the season started, Bouchard was a lot less iffy. And it's, you know, in retrospect, could they have used the money on a winger? Like, you know, made a big bid for Tyler Toffoli. But this mm-hmm. was total 2020 hindsight. At the time, that looked like a hell of a move. And, it gave them everything they could have hoped, I think, from Tyson Berry this year. So that's why I, I like that move. And and if if he did sign him, it, that to me would be a whole new transaction. That would be a whole new contract. Like you have to view right. players now in right. segments of their careers. So I don't. Uh, Will's it's unlikely to happen. But if it did, it wouldn't take away from the smart move of signing him. It would just be a bad move to to re up right. when you have a cheaper version in Evan Bouchard. Uh, Bruce. What is your second moving the needle forward, if you have one? Oh, boy, moving the needle forward. Uh, I got a whole bunch of kind of neutral moves, to be honest. You know, things that, uh, that uh, you know, maintain the status quo in, in, the, uh, uh, in the short run that brought in, you know, NHL-caliber players to depth positions at depth prices. Um as for guys who hit it out of the park, oh boy, uh, we talked about Smith and Barry, who were, you know, veteran pros. We, we talked about uh, Yusupul Yarby, who was a, you know, a good patient bet on a, on a developing player. Any others that move the needle forward, would you say? Because I have uh, one if, if we can, if you want to debate it, but I have yeah. one. Okay, Josh, I'm going to say Josh Archibald. He was on the needle forward. He was on the tip of my tongue as, okay. as, as being that. Uh, I like the player as a, as a, for what he is, but uh, what he is is a limited player in the sense that he doesn't have a lot of offense. Um, uh, he he uh, you know he's a torpedo. He certainly brings the physicality, and there there would be uh, you know he stands out like certain players on other teams stand out for just you know they're they're just hard-nosed, uh, uh, plays a decent penalty killer. Uh, the coach certainly trusts him uh, uh, to uh, help maintain a lead at the end of the game. You'll put him out there. And, of course, unfortunately, he uh, trusts, he kind of betrayed that trust with a stupid penalty he took in uh, game three in, in the Winnipeg series. Uh, Archibald at a million bucks was a, was a great deal. And they brought him in, and here, here's another example. They signed the guy, and then they gave him a pretty nice raise, a two-year extension at 1.5 million. And at that price, um, I'm not sure that's a whole lot of a bargain. I mean, I think he's got, he does have a place on the team, and he does have a specific uh, job that he does. So I don't mind the player, um, and he does address. Uh, several issues that the Oilers had when they originally signed him, which was team speed, which was physicality, which was penalty killing, and which was depth scoring. And he came in, I think he got 10 goals last year, and, and he certainly helped penalty kill. He certainly brought the, 
the physical play and he's fast. So, you know, he sort of checked a lot of boxes. So, I mean, credit for that. Um, and then this year, I'm not sure there was uh, enough sort of real progress there to justify the uh, 50% pay rise. Yeah, he's a, he's a decent third, fourth line winger mm-hmm. who adds a couple kind of special skills in terms of he's fast and the owners needed to get fast and he's a fast hockey player and he hits really hard and this is something else that is is will always be important in the playoffs no matter which direction hockey goes if you can if you're fast and you can hit people you can help your team win in the playoffs um so i i i'm okay with him at that salary i don't think that that contract was a home run because yeah. it is he's he's well paid for what he brings now because right. he's a marginal two he's a marginal two-way player like he, his offense is lacking. His d- defense is good, but his offense isn't great. It's 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 mediocre uh, at best. So um, yeah, that contract is if you're. But o- overall, bringing him into the organization, I'm going to say that moved the needle forward a bit. Same with Tyler Ennis. This is a smaller one. You know that that trade um, mm-hmm. where y- you gave up a fifth round, sixth round pick for Tyler Ennis. Right. And fifth you, rounder. Yeah, fifth rounder, and you got back someone who's who's contributed to the team the entire time he's been here and has been uh, a decent player that's a really small move of the needle in it and there's all kinds of these ones where they're you know mm-hmm. Gaetan Haas, Riley Shea and Joachim Nygaard these are these are in these are all in the category of these little tiny little bets that you know are I don't think are really I'm glad he makes so many of them because I think that's kind of a positive you make so many that they if if some your show doesn't turn out, if Granlin doesn't turn out, then only you get a little bit more from this other guy, and it's it's it's. I think overall, on all those little deals he's made, he, it, it's maybe a bit of a net positive, you know, when you include NS in the first Archibald deal, because uh, he's made so many of them. Bruce, I'm going to in- oh. also include. Go ahead. Uh, the end of steel, the fifth rounder was just for what he brought at the end of 2019-20. And, of course, they signed him as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, and he actually went to market, and they brought him back the first day of the, of the uh, yeah. market uh, at a small raise, which he, which he earned off of a pretty good season in, in 2019-20. Uh, but, you know, he scored, since he's been with the Oilers, he's played uh, 44 games, and he scored six goals. And offense, you know, he's brought in for his offense. He's certainly not a not a good defensive player, in my view. And I don't think our stats support him as being a good defensive he's, player. And I don't think the coach weak. likes his defense, which is why he spent yeah. so much time on the taxi squad. So, uh, to me, he's a he's a wash. He's not a needle mover for sure. Yeah, his defensive play was um, really weak. All right, Bruce. The obvious bad contract we have yet to talk about is that Cassian mm-hmm. I think it's uh I don't think anyone would say this that the four-year deal that uh Zach Cassian signed in January 2020 just before COVID um uh was a good deal at this point um mm-hmm. it was arguable at the time when when mm-hmm. it looked like the cap might go up right now it's a clear definite overpay and um I'm gonna say that's a move the needle back for for sure, he he. It's interesting though because people there's still like, would you trade him? 
it's, it's a question that comes up and a lot of people wouldn't because they love the fact that, that he's such a tough player. And in the playoffs, you need tough players is the argument. And the order is if you, if you move him, then you're going to be looking for someone to fill his role. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might not find that player. So it's, it's, I'm what kind is of, that I'm, role? well, third line, third line winger, fourth line winger who can play hockey in the NHL, play at an NHL level and provide an intimidating presence uh, to go wag his finger at people at the face-off circle if they get in Connor McDavid's face. The $3.2 million was the predicated on him to being able to do that on Connor McDavid's line. Yes. Uh, and and that's why he's a definitely, I don't think there's anyone, there's very few people who would say he's not overpaid on the Oilers, and that, that cap, using that amount of cap space on a player like him is not, moves the needle back for the team. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's significant enough that it moves the table back, even if he did his job. So the question is, is he doing his job this year? It's mixed up with some injuries that he had, right? Um, which makes it a little harder to rate him. He looked in the final couple play in the final playoff game, at least he was maybe the final two playoff games. He was kind of doing that role. And I was thinking, Oh yeah, he's doing that role. And anytime a player is doing his role, even if he's overpaid for it, I'm, I have a little bit different feeling about him. So, mm-hmm. What's your take, Bruce? Would you like? Would you keep him or not right now? The, the signing of the timing of the signing was a little bit questionable. I mean, this was January of uh, 2020, and this was coming off of fabulous 2019, where in the second half of the previous season and the first half of that season, he played 82 games in calendar 2019. Scored 24 goals, 50 points, almost all of them at even strength. Like, he was a big producer. And then in January, he had that game where Matt Kachuk ran him three times. And, of course, he lost his cool and and, uh, and went after Kachuk and and laid a beat down on him. But a significant cost of a a Calgary power play that produced the game-winning goal for Calgary in that game. I remember giving him a harsh grade because I thought he'd, he'd hurt the team in that game and then he got suspended and during the time he was he was suspended there was this groundswell of public support and love for Cassian because everybody around here hates Matthew Kachuk so much that the image of, of Zach Cassian laying a beating on him sort of superseded the fact well hey we lost that game because of that you know and and before he even played another game the day that he was uh signed was that was the day he was eligible to return to the ice and from that day to this if he's played five decent games for the oilers i've forgotten three of them you know he just didn't bring it back uh and he he i mean i i thought at the time i'd rather this guy was motivated through the playoffs he still got two months to sign him after that and of course this was before covid but when after covid and they came in and in the playoffs last year he was just MIA. He's, he didn't do a thing in that series, oh, yeah. like nothing. And how many and times have we heard the excuse, Bruce? Oh, well, he needs the fans to uh Well, he get needs 3.2 million bucks to motivate him. And if yeah. that doesn't do it, then I don't know, Dave. And I, I understand that he is a player that does feed off of the emotion in the building. But uh, uh, he's also a professional hockey player, and he's got a, he's got a summon. Uh, the motivation, and honestly, this this whole season that was passed. I mean, obviously, the two injuries were, but he he wasn't 
he wasn't playing well in the whole the whole the one fight that he was in all season with Eric Goodbrinson was after Dave Tippett called him out for being uh, you know not being a factor. In the next game, he thought I'll get myself going by getting into a fight, and he got into the fight two seconds into his first shift, and of course he broke his hand and was out for weeks. So obviously that uh, that didn't well. But the sort of rationale for that fight was was because he was in the doghouse was the impression left and then of course the second injury that he got when he when he tried to hit Shea Weber well that's just bad luck like he was doing his job there and he got hurt and he missed the whole rest of the uh, of the regular season but uh, he did show a little bit in the playoffs but boy I'm not going to give him a passing grade based on a couple of decent games you know you expect a lot more for 3.2 million dollars So it looks like they could move him, Bruce. It looks like um, might be a market. we've heard we've heard rumors that teams like Pittsburgh or Boston even might be interested in Zach Cassian. Yeah, uh, you know, for Jacob DeBrusque is one of the names that has come up recently. And Don it's, it's uh, <laughs> it would be very, listen, the reason I'd be tempted to move him is he's, when you look at hockey enforcers, it's pretty, that's a really tough job. You don't find many of them in their 30s. Um, who get that job done in a very effective way. It's usually a job by a younger player, and I'm not sure that Zach Cassian, he's got three years left at $3.2 million. The, the hope that he's mm-hmm. going to come through in that role, I, I think when I weigh everything, I would also move him. If you get a chance to move him, move him, because it, I think he's in the downward slope of his career right now and his career it's it's a weird because there's no downward there's no slope like this for zach cassian zach cassian's like this mm-hmm. or, yeah. or, or or he's like this he's 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 just he has great periods when he first mm-hmm. came to the order's great period playoffs 2017 fantastic everyone loves Zach cassian after that he crashed hard and there was all kinds of talk about trading him, mm-hmm. not bringing. And then all of a sudden, he gets his chance with McDavid, and it's shooting up again. And as you point out, for almost a full calendar year, it's like at this high level again. And then since then, and in the last calendar year, it's been crashed again. So it's like one of the it's riches, rags to riches to rags to riches with Zach Cassian. Do I think that there could be another riches period? Yes, in in, in a yeah. playoff series, in a playoff series, and or for 30, 40 games in a regular season. You could be so glad you have this player on your team. That could happen. It could happen if he gets traded to Boston. So this is my hesitation about him. He could have that these moments again. But the likelihood of any player having those moments as they head into their 30s, especially a big, rough physical player, goes down considerably. So I just think if you're looking at hockey, hockey actuarials, mm-hmm. if you get a chance to move that Cassie and move him. And he is overall that contract... You know, if you can move it, then it's suddenly it's not really a down thing, is it? It's not, uh, it doesn't move the needle back. But right, it has moved the needle back so far, and it's likely to in the future. So that's why I'm going to say this is an, a moving the needle back kind of thing for Ken Holland. Well, if you move him and you don't have to retain or you don't have to take a bad contract back, yeah. and, you know, someone who thinks that he's value for money and they give you a fair exchange for him, then yeah, of course. But I'll be interested to see... Uh, uh, what might be on offer. I do know that after uh, Tom Wilson ran roughshod over New York Rangers that they're supposedly looking for such a player. Now, in my in my view, um, uh, Cassian, he fights his own battles. 
uh, I'm not sure that I see him as a, a guy that you know go, goes out to avenge teammates and and that sort of sort of traditional enforcer role. Like when he took on Matt Kachuk, it was because Matt Kachuk had run him personally, and he and there was one scrum in one game this year where someone was giving McDavid the gears, and and Cassian got in there and and uh, and uh, sort of took command of the situation. Uh, the old Dave Smanko style, but just the once, and it just—it—I it, don't see that as being necessarily part of uh, of of what he does. It's he, you know, he plays a rugged game when he's when he's uh, on his game, and some see him as a poor man's Tom Wilson. Well, I don't watch Tom Wilson near as much as I watched Zach Cassian, but I never see Zach, uh, Tom Wilson in a game where I I don't notice him. Whereas Cassian, that happens far, far too often. Bruce, I'm gonna, in terms of moving the needle, I'm gonna say that there is one more, um, one more thing that moved the needle, and and this is a, it's a little iffier, but I I think moving out Milan Lucic moved the needle in a significant mm-hmm. way for the Oilers, and I think you could you could argue that since then the deal has worked out. Maybe even bet, maybe better. Like when you get the third round, when you include the draft pick that was compensation, fairly or unfairly. But let's just not get into that. But it, it happened. So when you include the draft pick, yeah. it's 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 uh, going to the Flames. The third round draft pick. Um, Lucic has given the Flames what they needed. He, mm-hmm. they, I think that they they're overall pretty happy with him. James Neal had a really good first year. And then got COVID, and his, this year was a bit of a wipeout for him. I'm going to suggest because of that. I, I I've liked James Neal though. Um, I think he's a smart defensive player, and he's added on the attack. Uh, at least in his first year, when he when he was healthy, he added on the attack, especially on the power play. I th- I think though, let's just say overall, the Flames, in terms of how they perform for the team, Lucic has given the Flames more of what they needed as compared to Neal giving what the Oilers they needed. The Flames have won that in that regard. But I'm going to still go back to the time of the trade. I just mm-hmm. think it was an absolutely essential trade for the franchise. And and there was broad agreement at the time. There was People were ecstatic on the oh, day yeah. that trade was made. And I don't think it was just a small amount of people. I'm just looking if I did a poll then. I'm looking to, to find the results. Oh, no. But I think it was a huge amount of people, including us, including me, thought Holland made that trade without having to swallow the biggest of poison mm-hmm. pills. We were worried it was going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It was... It was kind of, uh, it was kind of okay, maybe, who knows. But it, that felt like a huge win at the time. And it was, I think, objectively a huge win at the time. And it, I think it moved the dial. It got the orders out of this thing that was haunting them, this Milan Lucic contract that Shirelli had given to, to, to Milan. Mm-hmm. Hadn't worked out. Lucic, I think, had had it in Edmonton. I don't, yeah. I got the sense that he was done here. Mm-hmm. And they, they had to do something, and I and I thought it really moved the needle for the franchise at the time. And even though it's kind of uh, maybe afterwards, I'm not. They can still buy out Neil, um, right. and they couldn't do that with Lucic. They didn't know if he would waive his no movement clause or not in expansion. He, I think he he has for Calgary. There's been a few things that have made this deal look better for Calgary over time. Yep. That's what happens in hockey deals, and we rate them on that as well. Mm-hmm. But the, the things that have happened in favor of Calgary, that's their business. Right. This moved the needle for the Oilers. It got them out of a contract they needed to get out of without swallowing the, the worst of poison pills. 
and I, I like that move still. Right. Well, I wrote a fairly controversial post last year looking at that deal from kind of from a Calgary perspective. And yeah, Holland, like they didn't swallow a big poison pill, but they sure took on a, a few little ones and one not so little one if you're Daryl Cates that had to pay out an extra $9 million over and above the $42 million uh, that uh, Shirelli signed the original contract for. Because Lucic had been prepaid so significantly with bonuses and, and uh, front-loaded uh, contract, whereas Niels was just a straight same price every year. But they both had four years left at equivalent dollars, uh, the second poison pill was that the Oilers agreed to retain $750,000. Uh, so they wound up getting Neil for what amounted to $6.5 million for Calgary getting Lucic at $5.25. Well, a difference of over a million dollars, you expect to have a significantly better player. And in the two seasons since, both short seasons, uh, I believe uh, Lucic has one more point than Neil does. Neil did a lot of damage early, and it helped the Oilers. Like, he was part of the reason they got out of the gate so fast in 2019-20 uh, uh, when they won their first five games and uh, just got the jump right, right out of the bat. And he was filling the net. You remember, he got, I think he had eight goals in those five games or something like that. He was just on fire. and uh, uh, But he got hurt, and he had 19 goals through... December 31st of that year, he had a hat trick on New Year's Eve, and then he did, he never scored another goal for the entire season. And of course, he missed a month with an injury, and the last month never happened because of COVID. So it wasn't you know it wasn't quite so long a stretch as it sounded, but it was like 16 or 18 games or something. They never scored. And then this past season, with his own uh, health issues from COVID being a major contributor, he didn't move the needle at all. I didn't think in a, in a positive way very slow and you know just didn't win many races uh scored a small handful of goals but uh, uh he was you know 5.7 or sorry 5.75 million plus seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for what they got out of the guy and sure they don't have to protect him for the for the seattle expansion draft but it's not like seattle's going to pick him and He's, uh, you know, he's still got two years to run, and the big advantage of him is that he has, um, uh, he can be bought out. Well, that, you know, <laughs> there's another poison pill. Okay, we pay $9 million. Uh, there was a, uh, an issue with the salary cap. There's, oh, yeah, the third round draft pick that you mentioned that I didn't. And the best solution is that. This is a guy that can be bought out. I mean, it just goes to show how terrible was the Lucic contract in the first place that they had to take it that far. And Lucic had issues that I think were sort of underlying the trade. Like you say, it felt like the Oilers had to move on from him no matter what it took. And they did, what they did swallow some poison pills. And, uh, yeah. They, you know, they didn't get a, a guy that, that moved the needle for more than that first few weeks of his first season here. They, uh, yeah. One of the, another thing was the orders were too slow. Like Lucic was such a, is such a slow hockey player. I guess they like him in Calgary. I'm glad they like him. But Neil's Neil, not a Neil's, Neil's not a speedster either, though. He's not a speedster, but he is. I'm going to say he's a little faster than, a little more effective on the forecheck. But uh, 
I haven't seen Lucic enough in Calgary to, to make my own assessment. I get I'd get the general sense that that, that he's that people uh, like his play down there. Bruce, there's a number of moves that where Holland traded draft picks at the deadline for players. Kulikov for a fourth, Mike Green turned out to be a fourth, and Andreas Anathiu, Athanasio for two seconds. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a COVID aspect to us to this, and yep. Athanasiu and Green didn't get proper time to fit in with the team um, because the season was canceled, and then they get back. And I think the rumor is Athanasiu was not in sh- great shape coming back, which is really disappointing. But then that goes to what do you know about this player, Ken Holland? You know, you is he? Know is he? Yeah, you should know him. So I think these are all significant moving the dial back um, moves. Two, like the fourth round picks last so for Kulikov and Green. Um, but the two seconds for Athanasiu, he made a significant bet on this player who just showed not next to nothing when he was with the Oilers. Even when he first joined the team, there wasn't a lot there. He, he didn't have great hockey sense um, to fit in with the other attacking players on the team. He didn't, he, you know, you couldn't, in the playoffs, they put him with Drysaddle. That was a nightmare. I mean, Drysaddle needs to play with other smart hockey players because he's such a smart one. You're just wasting the guy if you put him with a, a guy who just rips up and down his wing and, um, you know, doesn't move the puck when it needs to be moved. And he didn't fit in with McDavid because, you know, he's not he's not a great checking hockey player. McDavid needs to, to play with players who are strong defensively, I believe. And it was just a mess, that trade. And again, this is where, where we get back to my initial hesitancy about the orders right now and about Holland is this is the pro scouting department. Start mm-hmm. adding it up. Turris, Green, Athanasiu, Kulikov. Um, this is a not inconsiderable list in two seasons of players who have, they not just invested in their salaries, uh, but they, they gave up something to get all of them except for Turris. And I just... They have a problem, Bruce, with their pro scouting. And I don't mm-hmm. think Ken Holland recognizes he's not going to do anything about it. And it doesn't make me confident heading into this offseason that they are going to make the right decisions on who to bring in for this team. They have all this money to spend. It just makes me worried, honestly, that they're going to sign kind of a new, the new Milan Lucic contract is on its way, is what I'm worried about uh, for this summer as much as anything. So I'm hope, like, I hope they get it right. But based on their track record, I mean, do I have confidence that they're going to get it right? This isn't exactly Glenn Sather in 1985, or or maybe Ken Holland in 19 in in 2003 or whatever. You know, it's he just it's getting the he's not he's not making the consistently making the right moves. Yeah, well, this I mean, it's trading a draft pick for uh, a player at the deadline is it, it's a fairly easy trade to make if you're buying, you know. You know, there's teams that are there are buyers and sellers at the deadline. You identify a seller, you go out and you bring in a player. Uh, but I would argue none of the guys that he brought in uh, in seeding those draft choices uh, really uh, moved the needle. You know, Tyler Ennis a little bit last year, you know, but I mean, uh, you know, he had a couple of goals and one in the playoffs. He helped and, a bit, Bruce, I'd say. Ennis helped. Yeah, a l- little bit. Um uh, but move the needle? No. Did he move into the top six and stay there? No. Uh, uh, so, and trading draft picks for for uh, you know expiring contracts. Well, 
this goes back to before Ken Holland, but in 2018, the Oilers had five of their seven draft picks because they traded away. And in 2019, they had six out of seven. 2020, they had six out of seven. 2021, they only have five out of seven, and three of those five are in the last two rounds. In 2021, uh, sorry, in, in, yeah, in 2021, they have five out of seven. In 2022, they've already traded one for the uh, Kulikov transaction. Kulikov's an expired tra- uh, contract already, and here's another draft pick gone in the future. And they don't ever seem to be accumulating much in the way of draft picks coming the order's way, and they're always short at the draft. They don't, you know, for a team that's supposedly trying to build from within, how can you go into, I mean, at this point, I mean, obviously things could change for the next two drafts, but they're, they're down one to two draft picks, five drafts in a row where they've been uh, below. And so instead, and I think this is Ken Holland's long-term strategy, uh, is you need to bring up players from within your own system that can solve some of these problems. Like if you're trading for third liners at the deadline, cause you don't have enough third liners that you can count on. Well, you haven't been doing it right. And the Oilers, I mean, in their, in their bottom six, uh, Jujar Kara, and then right at the end of the season, Ryan McLeod, those are the only guys that actually were drafted by and developed by, uh, uh, by the Oilers, and the rest were guys that they either picked off of the, you know, the uh, discard pile, uh, UFA time, or the guys that they that um, uh, they traded draft picks to bring in, and it's 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 a losing strategy. And I got that a short term, and I think Colin limited it this year after going all in last year and trading away all those picks, but. When you look at some of the bargains that could be had, those two second-round picks that uh, he gave up for Athanasiu, uh, you know what it cost Colorado Avalanche to bring in Devon Taves from New York Islanders? Two second-round draft picks. And they were lower picks because Colorado had finished way ahead of Edmonton in the standings that they gave up for Devon Taves, who was you know, then signed to a very, very good four-year contract by Colorado, and he's part of the solution there. And that's, if you'd like to be seeing something like that when you're trading away draft picks, if somewhere you got some guy that really hits hits it and, and turns out to be a value player for you for a longer term. This is the, uh, this is one of the issues of rating hockey management. So much has to do with um, what happens next? What happens with the draft, with the players they've drafted, and we won't mm-hmm. know that. Right. So, so you're right. He is going for the strategy of draft and development, and he held off. There was lots of pressure on him to make a big move this year at the trade deadline, and he made a small move, uh, bringing in Kulikov. Uh, if all these moves had happened without the Athanasiu trade, I, I think it would have. You know, this is the this is the big one, the two second picks, because second picks are have considerable value, much higher than lower round draft picks mm-hmm. and um so we don't know though what we know we've given up these picks what we don't know is the picks that he has made have they turned out philip brobury Raphael lavoie Ilya konovalov matej blumel thomas Mazura, and maxime denizikin in the first year these are players mm-hmm. um a lot of them are trending pretty well yeah. Um, Mel has had a really strong scoring season, I believe, in the in the um, 
Czech League, Slovak League. Um, this this last draft, Dylan Holloway, he, he shot up like a, you know, his value, the way people see him now is much better based on a, yeah. you know, a breakout scoring year in U.S. college mm-hmm. hockey in his second season there. That pick look, look, looks really good. Carter Savoy went into U.S. college hockey and lit it up, especially initially, and but had had a really strong attacking season. Tyler Tulio played uh, in Slovakia and looked good. So there's there's lots of positive looking things. Raphael Lavoie played well in Sweden this year was a and he did okay in Bakersfield down there. So there's lots of positive things. The Philip Broberry pick is a controversial pick because they could have had Cole Caulfield or Trevor Zegras, and we'll we'll see how that it works mm-hmm. out. It typically takes D men longer than forwards to to make an impact in the NHL. I think it's premature to make a a call whether the orders blew that pick or not. Right. Um, it is. It, it's premature. You could say what we know now mm-hmm. uh, compared to then is it, it looks a little iffier now than it did then because of the success of players drafted behind you. But the, that's always the case that in mm-hmm. any draft, players are, are going to develop at different rates and players drafted after you, the player you took, there's going to be some successful, more successful players almost always after you know the player you took the key is does the player you pick turn out and help your team long term and we can't answer that with philip Broberry yet or Mm -hmm. dylan holloway yet but i think there's enough positive in those drafts for us that there's some hope there i think the tyler wright has been deeply involved in the draft and and it seems like he's doing an okay job i don't have the same concern about amateur scouting amateur scouting on the orders has actually been pretty good under shirelli and it looks like it's probably continuing under Holland. We can't say for sure. It, we can say for sure that under Shirelli, it worked out pretty well. They got some good players in the draft. And overall, they were at least an average team in the draft and probably above average, maybe even a good NHL team. You'd have to rank all these drafts under Shirelli. Holland, the jury's out, but we'll see how we'll see how it turns out. I... I, again, though, they, if they don't fix their pro scouting, Bruce, Ken Holland doesn't fix his pro scouting. He's not going to succeed in Edmonton. And um, I don't know if he's going to do I don't. I don't think he's going to do it. Yeah, the pro, scout, the pro scouting has been a thorn in our side for too long. And Say, I mean, bringing in Archie Henderson from Detroit, where I'd say his track record is pretty mixed, and I wouldn't say that it's uh, uh, gotten any real clearer here. Like, where where are the big wins? Of of, I mean, I guess you can say Tyson Berry. I'm not sure that's yeah. pro scouting. I mean, everybody knew what Tyson Berry was, and that was the right situation. It sounds like he reached out to the team. That's you know that. Uh, uh, he wanted to be in a situation where he could succeed, and he recognized Edmonton as a good fit. Well, they probably both did, and I mean, credit to Holland for that, but credit to, you know, it things things worked out. I'm not sure how much the pro scouting had to uh, had to do with it. So Henderson was a scout in Washington, pro scout in Washington. Mm-hmm. Getting pop-ups blocking the view here. Okay. Uh, through the 90s and in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. And then he was out, it looks like he was, as far as I can tell, he was out of hockey for 13 years Whoa. before, I just had a little pop-up issue again. Before, it's hard to look at these websites because things keep popping up. Before Holland brings him back as a pro scout in Detroit for 
um, in 2015-16, a scout for uh, four seasons in Detroit. And those four seasons, I'm going to take a closer look at this, about exactly what moves they made. Mm-hmm. And then he's been the, the director of professional scouting in Edmonton the last two years. I, I think they need to get rid of Archie Henderson. I'll just say it right now. Based on what I've seen so far, that's the move Ken Holland has to make. And um, he didn't make these moves in Detroit with his scouts. He let his amateur scouts get long in tooth, and they stopped doing a, a great job for him in the last 10 years that he was uh, the GM of Detroit. And he just kept the same group, who had been fabulously successful before, I should add. Mm-hmm. It was his Barry Fraser period as um uh it was his barry fraser uh system where the the owners got such great value out of barry fraser in his first years as a scout and then in his last year he was one of the worst scouts in the nhl under glenn sather and they let it drag on and on and on 10 years and yeah 15 years and it really hurt the franchise well that's what holland did with his scouts in amateur scouts in detroit now he seemed Tyler Wright had kind of a mixed record when he was mm-hmm. was leading. He was brought in as a new guy in Detroit, and he had kind of a mixed record. I'd have to look again with one more right. season to fully rate that. Tyler Wright seems to be doing maybe okay here, but Archie Henderson, no, I don't see any indication that he should be in the position he is, that he's in. So, sorry, Archie, it's not personal. I'm just going on your, if you're listening to this, I'm just going on your record, and it ain't there. You got it. You're not getting it done. I doubt he's listening, but. Just in case. Where's our next Steve Steos? That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> Guy that's been around, been in the league, maybe uh, maybe underrated and and uh, and ready to make a move. Where's our Chandler Stevenson? You know, I mean, there are guys out there that when they go to a new team, they suddenly blossom. Where's and our somebody somewhere yeah. has seen the uh, the uh, the seeds and the sprouts. That are going to grow into a into a, a nice player, and so the other class of player that Holland's brought in is are the Euros, and we've just seen two of them head back to Europe in uh, in Gaetan Haas and uh, Joachim Niegaard, both of whom signed long term deals in their home countries, uh, five and six years. Uh, third one that he brought over that he gets credit for is Theodore Lindstrom. Uh, in each case, we're talking about a guy that's like mid, mid twenties or beyond. That's never played outside of their own country that they thought, here's a player that's good enough that we think maybe he can make the jump and, and be an effective NHLer. And to the credit of both Haas and Negar, they showed flashes that they, they could be players, but ultimately they didn't move the needle either. And in the meantime, you know, they were on the roster for two years, taking, you know, space that, uh, and, you know, opportunity costs. Like, I mean, uh, Tyler Benson, he's been held down in the minors all this time because they've got, you know, a bunch of sort of third and fourth and fifth and sixth line left wingers ahead of them. And maybe they would have been better off to invest some of that time in a, in a, a younger guy like him. So it's, again, a double-edged sword. I disagree on Haas and Nigar Bruce. I think those were good bets because mm-hmm. they're 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 low dollar bets. They could right. have set them to the minors, and there there wouldn't mm-hmm. have been a big issue. They're just picking. That's the coach who's picking mm-hmm. right. Nigar over uh, over Benson. It's Holland who's giving the coach the choice. Right. So that's on Tippett, not on Holland. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's right. Holland's job to give the coach lots of options, and he did that with these two players. And and with with if they hadn't been injured, which is always a wild card with any player. 
including mm-hmm. Oscar Clefbaum. I mean, how do we look at the Oscar Clefbaum contract now? I mean, it's 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 a, it was a great contract at the time, and now he's injured. So Haas and Negart were also injured, and Negart Negart was, and Haas got sick with a significant disease. Right. So um, I I like that Holland did that. I like that general proclivity to to bring in these guys on these cheap deals, and I think these are. I hope he makes five more bets like this this summer, not just Devon Shore, but five more contracts like that, and hopefully some of them will pan out. No, so. that's that's the thing. It'd be nice to see someone pan out in a, in a significant way that you know showed up on McDavid's line and started putting the puck in the net. Sure, it'd be nice to get a guy like that. Well, Cahoon was their bet this year, right yeah. on that. Like, mm-hmm. so he's another example. Like, did that work out? It's it's it was a good bet. Everyone, yeah. I think. No everyone everyone thinks that's a good bet to make. He 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 had you know almost the same points per sixty in the previous two seasons as Taylor Hall mm-hmm. and even strength. So that looked like a good bet. It didn't particularly pan out, but I like when the GM's making moves like that. That could have really paid dividends, I think. Uh it just didn't it didn't seem to. Bruce, some people might think, well, you're I, that I'm being too harsh on Archie Henderson, like he's only had two years at this job and mm-hmm. and you gotta you gotta no and I just think no. That the shelf life of GMs is like you, you you can tell right away with pro scouts. It's harder to tell with amateur scouts if it's worked out. We can see a distinct right. trend here in pro scouts. You this is an urgent matter. This isn't like something you can wait another year, go through one more summer of this. You you can you cannot do that because this is a the orders are in a win now mode. This is the biggest summer they have. They need better advice. Ken Holland needs better, better advice. Is it too late to get that at this late date? You know, if you sign someone from another NHL team, could you get a scout um, who who could be your your top guy? Maybe you just go with Keith Gretzky. You 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 change his role because he seemed to have a little bit better. Maybe possibly I don't know. Could you, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's possible to get someone better. But I know that this hasn't worked out, and it is time to move on. So, and two years is is ample time for this kind of job when you're when you're the main guy, um, unless it's unless they're saying, well, Ken Holland saying Thanasio Green, those are all on me. I'm the I was the key guy there. But then then Archie should have been talking him out of it if it wasn't a good idea because he was also in Detroit. They also had high knowledge of these players. Mm-hmm. So, Bruce, yeah, I just I'm. I'm worried about this summer mm-hmm. and I'm more worried as I talk as I, cause I, you know, I'm, I'm just starting to write a post about this, putting together all the information. Right. When you start to add it all up, it's less than zero in the uh, acquisition of pro hockey players with the Edmonton Oilers overall. If you, especially if you don't include Pulley Arvey and if you credit Archibald and Smith to Dave Tippett mm-hmm. or did, did Tippett, Coach Archibald, I can't recall. If you credit Mike Smith to, to tip, I don't I, think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think he did. But so you can give Archibald to to Archie Henderson in that regime. But and Slater Kukuk, I think, was another decent little bet there. And but they had all seen Slater Kukuk play. You right got Archie playoff. Henderson's page open. What date? What date did he come on board with the Oilers? It seemed to me there was some lag time after Holland, but I don't know exactly when he was uh, in that picture. Uh, it doesn't say Bruce, and it doesn't. Re- I think the the moves that we're talking about all happened at the trade deadline and last summer. Generally speaking, the bad moves signed right. by Coates. 
because uh, Archibald was signed, of course, in uh, in uh, July of uh, 2019. I just can't remember if uh, if Henderson was there yet. July 12th, 2019. Ooh, okay, right. Just I think it was just before they signed the other Archie. He replaced That's Dwayne right. Sutter, who had to go mm -hmm. as well, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that wasn't Keith Gretzky's job. That was Dwayne Sutter's job, and he had botched it horribly. And and now they they this is such a crucial job, especially in the modern NHL. And it's a job where you get pretty instantaneous feedback on your decisions. It's time to oh. to move on. Well, you need to win a trade, or you need to win a free agent signing somewhere along the line. And you know, and I and I don't mean of really well known commodities either but of uh of you know talented guys that are bubbling under that need the right chance and arguably you could say that was josh archibald but it's it's not a long list of of uh guys that have moved the needle as we've been the theme of this podcast they're they've got a whole lot of sort of of uh, break even at best what was it mctavish said about his bottom six Says we seem to have a whole bunch of guys that the best you can hope for is like break even. <laughs> hey, if Kyle Turris had broken even, I would have been ecstatic. <laughs> well, yeah. That was the best we could have hoped for, and it didn't happen. Yeah. So, uh, okay, Bruce, let's finish it off. Let's give an sure. overall. Has he moved the needle forward or has he moved it back? <sighs> With and this is this is hard because again we don't have a major piece. We don't know how Dylan Holloway and Raphael right. LeBlanc. Philip Robray are going to turn up. So, but has he moved it forward or moved it back? Uh, I think he's stabilized. I stopped much of the bleeding that was happening under Peter Shirelli, which was one bad deal after another before the guy left. Uh, although to Shirelli's credit, the drafting record was pretty solid. Uh, he's reaping some of the benefits from that. He's got the, um, you know, the farm teams in a good place and they, they are graduating uh, some players to the NHL. Um, I think with the big club, obviously the team itself got a lot better in uh, the last two years. They made the playoffs both years and, and uh, uh, soared up the charts. So uh, uh, points for that. Uh, I'm getting impatient, got to say. Uh, you know, he, he preaches patience, but uh, I guess he hasn't been in Edmonton since 1971, like, like I have. And for sure, he hasn't been in Edmonton since 2007, like many of us have, that have you know, just seen the team uh, struggle. And, and they're, you know, they're a nicer team now, but largely they're being pulled along by the guys he inherited. And the same could have been said about Peter Shirelli when he took over. Well, uh uh, Nurse and, and uh, Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins and Clefbaum were already here and he had the number one overall draft choice in his in his pocket that anybody would have spent on Connor McDavid. I don't give Trelli any credit for that. Um, and after that, you know, I mean, those are still sort of the mainstay players here for the Orders. You look at the, at the, at the, at Ken Holland's Edmonton Oilers today, well, uh, they have three guys that are, you know, sort of major, um, you know, they're, they're the ones that are pulling the team along as far as it's as it's gone. And McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nurse, well, those are all draft picks from the mi middle of last decade. And 
it's time to see a supporting cast and uh, with some top, you know, top six, top, well, the rich winter crew, top seven forwards, the top four defensemen, the number one goalie. And he's got a lot of holes to fill, David, this summer. You know, they got one top four defenseman under contract right now. One proven top four defenseman, unless you call Chris Russell, who used to be a top four defenseman, but at age 34, you know, they got three that are going to UFA. They're still struggling with that 3C issue. They're still struggling with wings on the top two lines. Like, there's a lot of holes out of that 12. How many of those, how many guys are those 12 men? And, like, you know, like, their number one goalie is a, a UFA. How, how how many of those twelve spots are filled? Well, you got McDavid, you got Drysdale, you got Nurse, and then what do you got? You got Puliyarvi. Yamamoto arguably is a six uh, top six top nine. Yeah, Yamamoto nine. Bear are kind of tweeners, right? Like yeah. we really we, we're Second not sure. Second third line, but yeah. we you know we don't uh, have RNH under contract, and we no. don't know actually what to do with them either because <laughs> I. You know, he didn't play. He, he didn't fit in with McDavid. He's never established himself mm-hmm. last this past season. He didn't establish himself as definitely your right. second line center either. And right. then he didn't play with the dynamite line. Like he didn't, you know, the line he had thrived with, which gave mm-hmm. everybody such hope of, of Nugent right. Hopkins on the wing. They didn't mm-hmm. use him there that much. So it's just all very, there's a certain amount of frustration. Bruce, I just wonder though how much there's a bit of recency bias in all of us where we have a very sour taste in our mouths yep. because of what happened in the playoffs last year and this year. Now, when you frame it as, Hey, Ken Holland took a team that didn't make the playoffs two years in a row and was in disarray. And he's come in and stabilized thing. And two years in a row, he's taken his Oilers team to second in the division both years. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, they've, they've looked like they've got some good drafts. And uh, he's made a few good moves. You know, he brought Pulley back. And so there's, and if you just forget these playoff defeats, and that's what we're kind that's of, we try to train ourselves to do is like, don't put too much weight in the, yes, the terrible fair. disappointment of the playoffs. Don't think everything's horrible and bad because mm-hmm. that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Be careful of that in terms mm-hmm. of it influencing, coloring your entire evaluation of a player, of a coach and of a GM. So I'm going to put that in place here. And say, I'm I'm going to agree with you. He stabilized things. There's been some good moves. All that said, and and I don't think this has to do with the playoffs. They have a problem in pro scouting that they need to fix. And Ken Holland, as the as the top hockey man, has got to recognize that and fix it. And if he doesn't, I'm really worried. I don't think they're going to make the right moves this summer, Bruce. I think they're going to make the wrong moves. And and these are big moves. And these are huge moves. The franchise is predicated on the Connor McDavid era rests on this. And if it has to do with people who have a back, weak track record in pro scouting, move them out. Well, they've had the, the two years Holland's been here, they've had the number one, number two scorers in the NHL. And they finished 11th in goals for one of the years. And I think they made it all the way up to seventh this year when they had like two guys that were just miles ahead of the rest of the league, like 105, 84, 69. I mean, it was, I mean, they have this, this gold mine of offensive production and yet somehow they're not a dominant offensive team. Like they should be, they should be leading the league in goals. If they got the two highest scorers in the league, they're not even close to that. Uh, so 
time for that supporting cast. Where is it? So, I'm you know, I'm getting impatient. Sorry. It, it could be worse. <laughs> at least we've had. At least we have our first round draft pick this year, and we mm-hmm. didn't trade it for like the Patrick Marlowe trade that cost Toronto Seth Jarvis, and now yeah. Toronto traded. Um, they were going for it. They went all in, and they traded for Felino, mm-hmm. and they gave up their first pick. I don't. Did he? I guess he was hurt, banged up a little bit. But That's I mean, his his level of his level of scoring in the in in the regular season before they traded for the guy Bruce mm-hmm. was at uh, the you know right around the Kyle Turris level of scoring uh, at even strength Felino. So he it was great like, against Toronto in the in the bubble playoffs in 2020 when he was oh, with oh, Columbus. Oh, he had oh. a great series against them, and so it wasn't you know it wasn't quite Jared Smith's and winning faceoffs in the Florida series, and but it was you know it, it certainly was an observation bias of because uh, he really was terrific in that uh, Columbus uh, defeat of Toronto and in, in, uh, in the bubble but <sighs> they paid a high price for him yeah okay so we're left there uh, we're not exactly in an optimistic place right now we're kind of in a show me phase show me show phase. me phase and if yeah and this is a big year for Holland and it's a big year for Tippett they could all be gone by the end of next season, but if that's if that's just a tragedy for the franchise if it if it turns out that way because you know, you know how long will Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl ride this out? Ken so Ken Holland has got a big summer ahead of him, and uh, we'll leave it there, Bruce. We will, unless you have something else, Dad. No, it's it's uh, it's put up or shut up time. I think they got they got to make real realistic positive forward steps and not something that might come to fruition three years down the road but they, they gotta they gotta fill some of these holes in the key positions on on the roster okay here's my advice to ken holland if you've identified 10 players that you're interested in right now i want you to hire ken holland i want you to hire bruce mccurdy <laughs> on a one-month contract two months or however long it takes to go over the video of these players it's all bruce is going to do He's going to go over the video of these players and he's going to give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I want the Cassian money. <laughs> That's that. That is my recommendation for Ken Holland. Yeah, well, I think uh, I'm pretty sure they're doing that, but I'm not sure they're doing enough of it. And uh, they've only, you know, they're, they're, <clears throat> I guess one last concern I have with Holland is uh, his lips are moving when he talks about analytics, but I'm not seeing the evidence that uh, that uh, the the um, uh, underlying uh, foundation is there for the for the for the club sort of you know turning over all the rocks on the on the players that are available and knowing what they what they need to know. Like if you looked at Kyle Turris, um underlying numbers last year, you would have seen red flags. And uh, you know, same can be said about uh, about uh, uh, other guys that they brought in and uh yeah i'm not saying they, they even necessarily need to be leading the league but when i look at a list showing 105 uh people hired by uh nhl uh, franchises who who do that job and the others had one on the list i guess they hired there's two brothers now that are that are doing it but they're also doing work visas and i don't know what all else that uh you know, it's not like it's 100% their job. And 
I just think the, the 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 franchise. I mean, this isn't a cap expense. You can bring guys in, uh, and and at a fraction of the cost that you're paying now, uh, management, to uh, and I just think you could buttress uh, the team in that department. And and uh, Holland's talking about goals for uh, goal differential, even strength goal differential. Well, you know, that's it's important, but it's only scratching the surface of uh, kind of information that's out there. Here's what I would say, Bruce, to Holland on this point is that we know Dave Tippett does analytics. And I actually think he does, I don't know for sure, but it sounds to me like he's doing something very similar to what mm-hmm. you and I do. We know that definitely he looks at scoring chances mm-hmm. for and against from there on the ice. Mm-hmm. I th- my understanding is I think he's also looking for who, con- who, which players actually make the plays, who, who contributes, who makes the mistakes. This yep. is his process on his own team. I think that's an extremely useful process for any NHL coach to be doing with his own team. And it gives Dave Tippett a good handle on what on which players are playing well and which aren't playing well. Whatever the on-ice analytics say, if he's not looking at I'm okay if he doesn't look at that. If he's doing that work, along with what he sees during the game, if he's going over video, he's doing that work. He's doing a good job with his own team to get a good sense analytically of what's going on. But do they even use that same process for all the other teams? Right. If Dave Tippett thinks it's important enough to do it for his own team, right. are they doing it for all the other teams? It's a lot of work, yeah. but that's what makes the difference. And I don't think that I'd be surprised if they are, Bruce. I don't think they have that information. Now, I, I don't know. There's there, there what there's two ways to get analytics. You can have people on your own staff, and you need lots of those people. You need a number of people, at least. But you can mm-hmm. also hire outside companies. There's a number who do right. this kind of work. Do they even hire them? Do they mm-hmm. have Do they have that kind of information available or not? Um I don't know. I can't answer that question. So I, but I, I'd be surprised if they even if they put the same level. They know that they have. Tippett knows as a coach, he needs that work to be done to understand his team, and that's why he's done it. That's why he's done it for twenty years now. He said. Mm-hmm. Are they doing it on the rest of the league before they invest millions and millions of dollars in players? And if they're not, that is utter incompetence. And I'm a, I'm well, a little bit I'm worried about it as well, Bruce. I, I I I'm not confident that they're doing that kind of work that needs to be done. And even on, on a you know a, a focal point, like it's unrealistic to expect them to know that about every player on every team. But if you're looking for a guy in a trade, or if it's October seventh and Kyle Turris has just been bought out and he's going on the market in 36 hours, uh, a a um, service like Instat that you and I had, you know, where you can look at shift by shift of the player X number of games, you could actually watch that player and say, well, what did he do at this end? What did he do at that end? You know, how how was he involved in the play? Uh, what kind of mistakes did he make that ca- that caused grief? And if you look at twenty or thirty games of the guy, you're probably going to have you know video evidence, and then you also have the you know the numerical statistical evidence, and 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 you need to do that kind of stuff with uh, you know this is how the nhl works these days and the teams that have strong analytical departments are are going places you know tampa bay i mean they don't take a back seat to anyone guess what they got a good team <sighs> and we don't even know like the, the the fact is like when people say analytics they think of the way they understand them looking at you know on ice analytics Corsi fenwick and stuff like that mm-hmm. the, the best nhl teams we don't know what they're doing we can assume they are doing all kinds of things that are very, first of all, they're secret, they're private because they give them a competitive edge and we have no idea. Right. My my 
hunch is they're definitely drilling down into the individual actions of individual players on ice. They're not going mm-hmm. on ice numbers, maybe some information that they use, but they are definitely looking at the individual actions of players, how they react in all kinds of different situations and getting very granular, rich data on that kind of thing, way beyond what you and I do. I mean, we just skim the service. I think that they're doing this for all the teams. They, oh. they have that kind of rich data and it helps them make decisions. Do the Oilers? I don't have I don't have that kind of confidence that the Oilers do. And they're so they're relying on the scouts, you know, who go to the games and watch the games. They take notes. They take very good notes. Some of them are excellent at what they do. But to have they need they need that kind of you know, they need to have the eye of Sauron on the whole darn league and know what they're doing at every single moment. Although Frodo escaped the eye of Sauron, so maybe that's not the best <laughs> the best analogy. But uh, yeah, so I have a question there as well, Bruce. If I'm not... no, and, and another another value would be, you know, the person who sort of looks looks at contracts with the, you know, the seven year, seven generation long term view of what could go right, what could go wrong with it, with uh, with uh, contracts. They could they could save many times their own salary by by simply putting the team off of a single bad signing. Well, and I mean, obviously you need to get the right person doing that, but uh, the idea, well, if we pay Mikko Koskinen like he's a number one goalie, maybe he'll become a number one goalie. You know. Because <laughs> with, with tourists, for instance, like we could all, we could, you could tell within a week, like, whoa, what's going on here? All you have to do is watch and like, we don't have... It's not it's not our full time job to go over mm-hmm. every player in the NHL and, and but it is theirs anyway. Let's do their do your job better and, and I'm not getting more pessimistic as we speak, Bruce. So maybe it's time to move on here. Bruce, thanks for lots, talking today. <laughs> lots of grist for your post. Yeah, it did yeah. Yeah, help clarify what, 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 the direction of it. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.